You are listening to Investing Matters, brought to you in association with London South East. This is the show that provides informative, educational and entertaining content from the world of investing. We do not give advice, so please do your own research. Hello and welcome to this very special anniversary episode of the Investing Matters podcast. During this episode, Dave Mutton, the Chief Operating Officer of London Southeast and I, will share with you the history of the podcast, principles, background, and discuss the 10 episodes so far, our top five favorite episodes, and what our Global Investing Matters podcast listeners can look forward to in 2023. That's great, Pete. It's really great to be here. And I can't believe it's been over a year since we actually first talked about this and then decided to do it. And what a fantastic year it's been. We've had some amazing guests on the podcast with really, really interesting interviews. You know, we are so pleased at London Southeast that what you've done to really tease out from these guests what they really think about investing and what investing matters means to them. So it's been fantastic and we're looking forward to even more episodes to come. Thank you very much. I'm, I'm hoping that in 2023, we'll take it to another level. Uh, my hope is that we're going to have some more guests from the likes of USA, Australia, Canada, and obviously some of our homegrown talent in the, in the UK as well. Fantastic. Well, funny enough, I got here the top 10 episodes so far from this first year. So our best episode is episode 12, Mark Dampier who is a former research director at Hargreaves Lansdowne. And then a fairly recent episode, Gervais Williams is at number two from Premier Mighton. Then Chris Dillow, who is uh, an economics writer. Reg Shaw, uh, who was at uh, MD of uh, MHP Communications. Number five is John Stepek, uh, used to be at Money Week and now at uh, Bloomberg. And then the, the next uh, number six, George O'Connor, now at Good Body Stuck Brokers. Alex Schlick at, from Yellowstone Advisory, uh, Janet Moy from Bruin Dolphin, RBC Bruin Dolphin, I should say now. Yep. Uh, and Edmund Shing, BNP Baripar, and Tim Rogers, uh, former CEO of AB Dynamics. I mean, that's our top 10 episode list. What a diverse range of people we had in there. And they've all had some amazing feedback as well. We got great engagement uh, online through our social channels on Twitter and LinkedIn and, and Facebook. And uh, yeah, it's been, it's been fantastic listening to different perspectives on the whole topic of investing. Thank you, Dave. I think the beauty of what we're trying to do here at the Investing Matters podcast is to bring that diversity because there's so many different ways of in, investing or trading. And by having um, individuals that are journalists, economists, fund managers, and other people that have written books about psychology or are global investors, we enable the audience to learn far more than they would by just speaking to one group of individuals all the time. And that's what we've been trying to do to educate all of the listeners to the Investing Matters podcast and the global audience that we're trying to reach. Absolutely. And that's exactly the brief that I think I gave you Absolutely. over a year ago. To, Absolutely. You know, we want to create that timeless content mm. that is valuable to uh, the listeners if they listen today or listen in two years or five years, because it's about how to invest, not what to invest in. Absolutely. You're never going to get a stock tip on this podcast. Absolutely. You know, and it's about think about how to invest, why to invest, when to invest, and of course, when not to invest. Absolutely agree with you. Great. Well, I think what will be really interesting for our uh, listeners will be to dive into our five favorite episodes. I think you and I talked about mm -hmm. this earlier and we come up with five. 
So we'll we'll kick off with the the, the best episodes so to date. The number one, Mark Dampier, former research director at Hargreaves Lansdowne. Be great, Pete, if you can remind us, you know, about your conversation with him, what you talked about, and uh, what you think is the highlights of that episode, and then we'll hear a clip. Yeah, I, I think what I found most fascinating about Mark was his natural awareness of what had been going on regarding Harvey's Lansdowne and the fact that he was willing to share um, what was going on there. And obviously we spoke about the, the Woodford debacle, which was on everyone's mind. It's the elephant in the room regarding Harvey's Lansdowne, but also he was very personable and open and candid about um, the difficulties of being a entity of, of the size of Hargreaves Lansdowne. So that's what I found fascinating about Mark. And he actually enjoyed it. <laughs> he ended up saying, I actually enjoyed that, po- that interview with you, Pete. Thank you very much. And he got to the point where he was saying, I'm going to make sure I speak to some of my friends and invite them onto the show for, to be interviewed. So I was really re- quite relieved, really. It went, uh, went so well. That's great. I mean, I think for me, from my perspective, for investors to hear somebody with such uh, a history in the investing sector talking frankly and openly about his investment technique and what he's done in his different roles was was great. And I, exactly, you, you talk about the Woodford scandal, you know, he, he pulled no punches, you know, he, he talked about it very openly and honestly about how it all unfolded. And I think the really important lesson as well is it doesn't matter how good you are, it doesn't matter how well you've invested in the past, everybody can make mistakes. And, you know, it's, uh, it's a real sobering lesson to, to think about that. So just be very careful, do your own research, and, you know, it's your money you're playing with, so you've got to do the right thing. Absolutely. And the fact is that even the experts, which, you know, you look at Neil Woodford, he was like the number one go-to fund manager. Absolutely. Not necessarily made a mess of it, but he was learning lessons as he was going along because moving from the blue chip sort of entities that he'd always invested in and then moved into loss-making companies and startups. And that's where you've got the, you're losing your edge from your expertise. So that was a big lesson learned by Neil Woodford in that account. Absolutely. I saw a presentation a few years back where somebody outlined that exactly how the portfolio evolved over the time of Woodford and how it changed from that very safe, very stable portfolio companies. And it got far more risky over time. And it was almost like he had to double down on those investments to try and recoup the losses and it was just making things worse and worse and worse. And eventually, you know, Absolutely. the plug was pulled. So it was diluting the quality. So he had some really good quality companies yeah. and was forced to sell the quality companies to underline the smaller ones that he had. So that, as you say, the dilution of the quality got further and further down. And that's what happened there. So yeah, some great lessons learned from, from, from Mark. And he was very candid about it, which I really appreciated. We had some great feedback uh, on, on Twitter for this. Uh, so... Fascinating interview of the man who first made me realise equities aren't the only uh, lunch post-GFC. I'm not quite sure what that meant. Definitely great, worth a listen. Great financial oh, crash. Right, great. Ah, right, so I got that. Okay. What a fantastic guest. Particularly enjoyed the explanation of the best buy list concept. I remember we, we yeah. heard about that in the... Mm-hmm. Great. And so fascinating career and insights. So yeah, the really good feedback on Twitter. And it's, it's great to see our audience engaging with this. And actually, what's really interesting for me on social media is what we've seen very clearly is some of the guests on the podcast themselves are now engaging with later episodes of the podcast and we're building this whole community around the Investing Matters. 
of like-minded individuals who want to share their expertise, share their knowledge, and actually help and grow people's understanding of what it means to do effective investment. Yeah, I, th- I think the individuals that are in the city that are compassionate and are giving, and I keep using this, this line on Twitter about kindness matters, they actually get that, you know, in order to grow a community, what you have to do is enable them to become better at what they're doing. And everyone's got a goal of reaching financial freedom. So if you can able, enable that, and it's, it doesn't matter whether it's someone's investing in stocks, funds, or investment companies, you've still got them in the community. They're not going into a casino, gambling, and then leaving it. They're actually staying in the community for longer. And everyone gets that. And I think the quality of the guests we've had so far have inspired others to go, well, maybe we should go and see if we can get interviewed on the Investing Matters London Southeast platform as well. So that's building a community of itself. So they're engaging, they're um, reaching out, they're retweeting some of the stuff that's nothing to do with them. It's like, I've been on the podcast and I like that new guest. I'm going to retweet and share it. So it's been fantastic like that. Right. It's, it's sharing the important lessons, isn't it? Mm. Okay. So uh, I think we should listen to a clip from Mark Dampier. So I want to talk a little bit because obviously the elephant in the room is towards the end where the media got hold of all what was going on with all things Woodford. That, that he developed his fund, he went solo, he built it up, the media took it up, and then the media essentially brought it back down to earth again. So share what you can, and just um, let's talk a little bit about the, the, um, the, A, the best buy list, which has always got, brought a bit of contention, yeah. and, and B, a little bit about the Woodford Fund, if we may. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I am a bit limited, I guess, but... I suppose, I suppose I'd actually start off with saying, just using a phrase that a fund manager actually sent to me um, during the, he said, Mark, you know, you, you try and do the best for clients, but it just doesn't always work out that way. <laughs> and effectively, it's that simple in, in, in one respect. I mean, I often feel like saying, yeah, we, you know, we, we, we obviously want to do our, we want to do our best, but sometimes you read stuff in the media, you think, Actually, our starting point appears to be, well, actually, we deliberately tried to find the worst fund possible and put clients into it. I mean, there's, there's no, there's, it's absolutely absurd to, to even, even, even go there. So, you know, the Woodford, I mean, I'd known Neil Woodford for, oh, God, over 30, well over 30 years. I, I first met him, but I didn't know, by the way, I didn't know, he's not a friend or anything like that. Um, just a business person that I that I knew in the business like I know I've known Nick Train for even longer actually in that way but I've never met him socially either but they they were great fund managers and I have to say I don't really want to sit here and defend Neil completely because he obviously made a huge cock up but what I will say is that up to the gating he'd made 26 times your money I think this is off my memory so and against the market of 12 times, which is a pretty extraordinary game. But he, he was, a, he did get himself into a, into a, obviously into some kind of mess. But I think the media, I'll finish this really more on this at the moment and say, if he started it, the media finished it. Um, and one of the things I should have probably learned or known to seeing that I've been dealing with the media for a long time is, is that they have, they have got a very big influence, and I don't think they always realise how big an influence they, they had. But all I'd, all I'd say is that if you replace Woodford's name with Lloyd's Bank, 
you would have had a run on Lloyd's Bank, in my view. So perhaps I'll, perhaps I'll leave it there. So, yeah, it's always a humbling, you know, investment's a humbling experience. <laughs> that, maybe that's what I should have started off with when you first asked me. That's, that's one of the things you learn, that you, know, you want to be right all the time, but you're not going to be. And you're always going to learn. And I've said, I'll, I'll, in another interview with you, I can go through the learning bits as well that, you know, that we've learned from that. But, you know, it's, it, was, it was not a great experience, <laughs> to say the least. It did bring some tears, and some of those were mine. <laughs> no, Mark, I really appreciate you sharing that. It's very, very kind of you to go and, and share anything with me regarding that. So I know it's been very, very difficult for you and, and family as well. Great. So next in our list of favorite episodes, uh, I've got down is uh, George O'Connor, who's uh, currently an analyst at uh, Good Buddy Stockbrokers. And I think it was a, a fascinating interview um, that you had with George. I mean, personally, from my perspective, I've worked in tech companies for more than 30 years, right from the very early days of e-commerce. And so I, I really related to the companies that George was talking about and the challenges. And uh, it's also from a tech point of view, I always find I'm a big fan of science fiction. I think you know that, Pete. Yes. <laughs> and uh, it's always fascinating to see things from science fiction coming into the real world. And, you know, I mean, the classic one everyone talks about is the, uh, the Motorola flip phone was inspired by the communicator from Star Trek. Mm. But there are so many other bits of technology that are being brought into the real world by tech companies um, that we've read about in science fiction. So it's always fantastic, fantastic to see things on the tech side of things. What I really liked about this interview with George was we talked about the tech lifecycle and it was really interesting to understand, you know, you need to be clear where the company is that you may invest in, where it is in that lifecycle. You know, is it in that growth phase or, you know, how big is its addressable market and, you know, what's the, the, the level of com competition that they may have before they succeed. So that was great for me. What, what did you like about that interview? It was actually quite a radical thing he said to me in, in, on the, during the time we were interviewing. And it's when he pulled out and he says, actually, Pete, I actually like profit warnings. And I was like, what? <laughs> Who likes profit warnings? <laughs> and he was, I was like, but it made sense. If you've got a really good company and it's had a bump in the road, but everything's still in place, then you're going to get the share price declining. But it's a fantastic opportunity for the contrarian to go in and actually buy, as he called it, a shed load of the stock. You know, so if the share price was at a pound and suddenly because of something that's a momentary thing, momentary problem, dropping down to 50 pence, you can buy in twice as much as you wanted before. So to be opportunistic. So I thought that was a really good sort of gem for our investors to and listeners to think about if the company's still solid, it's still got all the right foundations and there's a profit warning, technology or not, could be an opportunity for you to go, re go and research that company and, and um, investigate it further. And, buy. That was really good. I mean, the bottom line there, isn't it? It's understanding the fundamentals. Understanding the fundamentals and doing yeah. lots and lots of research and not being guided by anybody else, but your own independent research of your own. Great. Feedback we had on this was very good. In fact, this is an example where we had some feedback from Reg Hall, who was a guest on our episode 16 of the podcast. Mm. A big thank you to George and LSE for providing educational content to private investors, key learning, run you winners, and the tech sector is looking cheap if you take a long-term view, obviously that may not be relevant when you're listening to this podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> but Absolutely. Uh, it is a very, very good feedback. Appreciate that, Candor, mate. I mean, you, you mentioned your superpower there and, and with regards to curiosities. I'm going to expand on that a little bit, if I may. Which emerging aspects of software 
and information technology do you envisage as investors we need to look forward to the most? You know, what's going to be the one that's, you know, the internet of, you know, of 1990, 2020? What we're we looking at in your space that investors, we should keep a really big eye on. Okay, dokie. So first of all, thank you for uh, talking to the life cycle model of technology. It's a view I absolutely support and subscribe to. And in that, we've seen waves of tech. And you'd say, well, for a sort of you know growth or a tech analyst, you're going to be looking to trap the waves. That that is absolutely the case, and I, I fully support that. Uh, one of the reasons why I'm so excited at the moment is that there's so much happening at the tech infrastructure. Uh, level. Now, the UK has not been great historically in terms of tech infrastructure. Uh, typically, tech in UK is really around the sort of the application of technology rather than the creation of it. However, if we back off onto our life cycle curve and look at infrastructure, we can see there in terms of cloud infrastructure, we look at it in terms of quantum computing, we look at it in terms of blockchain, we look at it in terms of security and privacy, and we also look at it in terms of 5G. In each of these areas, we can see accelerators, and these accelerators will, will then uh, come to fruition in terms of new use cases and absolutely new startups and, and new companies. And for me, you can criticize me, Peter, and say, George, do you know what? I've heard about all of these before. And I'm going to say, absolutely, you've heard about all of these before. But the whole sort of time is right. We've wasted uh, two, well, two and a bit years in, in terms of COVID and pandemic and, and lockdown. But, but if we look at the pattern of usage that really accelerated from COVID, so for example, work from home, so we can do this, have this conversation pretty much anywhere. And those forces are now being unleashed. So you had the the eminent and the hugely impressive uh, Reg Hoare on uh, uh, last week. And in the old days, you would have had to go around to Reg's hallowed offices. And now you can speak to Reg on the end of a connection. And he's, he's possibly golfing in Andalusia or he's sitting in his swim shorts beside his swimming pool. And that is that is just a wonderful world that we, we, we are living in. Uh, we can work longer, harder, but be more productive and do it so much more on, on our terms. It's a, it's a magical world where, where we are embarking into. Uh, absolutely, your timing today is horrific. Uh, NASDAQ has done 30% year to date. Uh, uh, in terms of uh, our own uh, UK market, uh, software and uh, tech services down uh, 29%. Pretty 100 all over the place, but, but down, uh, down 3%. Uh, but this is a great time to have, to have a reset tech valuations came off the boil last October. So we're used to it. We know exactly uh, what we're doing in, in terms of valuations and stuff that was expensive is now so much cheaper. And we also know why is it cheaper? So yeah, huge opportunities abound. Yeah, I think it's a very interesting point you make there regarding the, the, the um, almost a hype cycle regarding what's goes on regarding certain trends in, in technology and other industries as, as, as well. And we've got so much going on regarding the, the technology space. Okay, moving on then. So the next episode that we chose was a really interesting one from Janet Moy, uh, now at uh, RBC Bruendorf, and they were acquired by Royal Bank of Canada uh, earlier this year. 
What I really liked about this uh, episode was I think it was a combination of somebody with incredible knowledge and experience, but who is also a great communicator. So I think one of the challenges in, in any sector, but especially in finance, is having a good communicator who can explain things to investors in a way that is easily understandable and relatable. And I think Janet does a great job with that. Uh, and I especially liked her passion for ESG investing, so environmental, social governance. And she talked, if I remember right, about setting standards and developing standards for ESG so that individual investors can actually trust what they hear about ESG. We hear about you know companies greenwashing and uh, having so-called standards, but they're not really. So I think that was a really, really interesting uh, episode and another great interview from yourself. So what was it that you mm. took out of that? S similarly, um, the ESG aspect, um, I asked her about that and she replied, well, I think ESG is an unstoppable trend. So it's clear that, you know, the amount of money that's going to be going into that space. And I think the beauty of it is, is that more and more investments are going to go into that space. And what she touched on as well is that actually the war in, U in the Ukraine has accelerated the shift to green energy. And we all, we all know what's going on now regarding energy prices and so on and so forth. So she's absolutely spot on. So it's an unstoppable trend. Yeah, fantastic. Some of the feedback that we had, uh, so there was a great one here. Uh, a big thank you to Janet and to Peter. Key learning change to a, a growth and open mindset. Fixed mindset is not good. And market downturns are an ideal time to invest if you take a long-term view. Agreed. I think it's, it's about that, you know, keeping that open mind, isn't it? I just say it's um, when, when is a, as much an important question as what to yep. invest in. Agreed. So. Okay, let's um, hear a clip then from Janet Moy. Janet, you've got a, a great interest and passion for um, all things ESG and ESG investments. What are your thoughts regarding the ESG sector, the growth, and also what's happening in the, uh, the capital markets regarding it? Yeah, well, I think ESG is an unstoppable trend. Um, I think it is getting increasingly clear, right? I think... From the regulatory point of view, we are just getting more and more regulation demand for um, ESG-related uh, disclosure, and more investments will be going to the field. I think the, the war in Ukraine further accelerates the shift to green energy, so that certainly helps with the E. Uh, Environmental-related investment is really the, the key of the ESG investment so far, because it's the investment theme of environmental is, is just more apparent than the S or the G. So uh, I think more, 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 more and more investment will be going to the renewables. This is unstoppable, right? With everyone trying to transition away from fossil fuel and more so with the war uh, going on. Uh, it will be a multi-year process. It's not going to be near-term. You know, near-term growth style is suffering at the moment. So the ESG-related style also uh, related to the growth style is also suffering, but the longer-term trajectory remains intact, uh, supporting from both a you know, consumer preference point of view, regulatory point of view, and just the, the need to transition to green energy. So I think we're very positive on the sector. Okay. So the FCA published the ESG integration to UK capital markets report recently to which Richard Stone, the chief executive of the Association of Investment Companies, responded, it's vital that investors can trust ESG data and ratings which are increasingly used in investment decision-making. 
So we strongly support the FCA's view that greater regulatory oversight is essential to provide reliable and objective information. How is the regulatory status quo at the moment and does it need to be improved? Yeah, I think uh, there's still, I think a lot of uh, discussion uh, and uh, lack of clarity on the standardization of how you look at ESG, right? Uh, there's there are a number of providers that uh, provide some more quantitative analysis of ESG, but I don't think there's really a gold standard, like a standardized approach that is approved by a single body that is applied globally. It, it is just not there. So I think a lot is still up to the investor's interpretation itself. So that makes uh, the the caliber of those ESG professionals so important. You know, there can be a wide disparity of those uh people in the field, but those who really know what they're doing versus those who may be very likely to subject to greenwashing potentially, which is increasingly a problem and which is being really actively invested by regulators more and more so. So I think uh, there is opportunity when there is such a uh, discrepancy and lack of clarity going on. So the, the best uh, of the field will certainly benefit from the trust of the public. And uh, I think yeah, definitely more needs to be done in order to um, create that trust trust in the public. Uh, yeah, I love that reply. Now, can you share with us how Brew and Dolphin are working within that space and what you and your team are doing on the ESG front, please? Yeah, certainly. We integrate ESG uh, in our investment process. So it's a, it's a few pillars, really. It's like uh, we consider ESG criteria in all our investment aspects. We also offer more specific ESG-driven uh, investment that people, you know, they, when they have a higher uh, standard or they, they really want specific ESG goals, then they, they can also access those investments. We have a dedicated team to select the funds and put them together in, in a portfolio uh, that people can choose. I mean, also from a corporate perspective, we also, you know, we are dedicated to ESG, like we... We sign up for net zero, um, so uh, so it's really embedded in both from an investment perspective or whether you're talking about day to day the running of the corporation perspective. Uh, and we have expanded our team in in the ESG uh, area, uh, and uh, we also have many processes. You, you mentioned about the trust, so we have a number of processes in place like controversy tracking, for example, that really enables us to distinguish between the genuine uh, ESG-focused companies versus those who are not. Okay, so we're on to number four on our list, and that is uh, John Stepik, uh, executive editor of Money Week at the time of the interview. But now I believe he's moved over to Bloomberg. Bloomberg now, yeah. What was it about that interview that you remember best? I think it was what he was saying. It was two, two aspects. He was talking about the magazines, because obviously he's a magazine guy at uh, Money Week. And he was saying, if it's on the front cover, it could be very, very contrarian. Um, so therefore, keep an eye on what's in the front cover. And usually it's, it's, a, it's a case of either if they're saying the, the, it's a bull market, that means that it's, the market's possibly peaked. And if it's a trend, that's usually a trend that's going to be rolling over shortly. And I think the other aspect was talking about Markets was by the time we were speaking, the Dow was up 900 points one day, 1100 points down the next day. And it was basically saying, This is what I'm talking about. Do not be a day trader. You know, always look to do, look at the fundamentals and in, invest long term. 
I think that was really, really quite poignant thing to be thinking about. To stay in the market and not get shaken out, but don't trade, invest in the market. Yeah, I think the point about the magazines is really interesting. I, I found that as well. I mean, it's, it's, they're, they're mass market magazines, aren't they? So if the mass markets are talking about it, you've probably missed the boat, you know, and the smart mm-hmm. money's been in and, and moved out again. And so it's you know, doing your own research again. It's mm-hmm. uh, keeping ahead of the trends. And almost, uh, I think there was a comment you talked about with, with some of the, um, the magazines look to the back pages. Absolutely. Look, look for not don't look at the lead stories because the lead stories are the ones that are now mass market news. Yep. But look for those stories that are upcoming and the, and the new trends and that's mm. where the interesting developments could be. So that mm. was quite interesting. I think for me it was just a fascinating insight to get that journalist's point of view, especially mm. around the 2008 crash, which I know you talk yep. about a lot, and yep. his perspective on that you know, they were talking to fund managers and analysts all around then as it was building up to the crash and nobody could believe mm-hmm. that the banks could, could collapse. It's an impossibility. You know, you know so, yeah. uh, and I think there was some conversation that you had with him about that. You know, it's a, almost a generational thing is if you've never experienced it in a generation, then it's like, it's gone from the collective mm-hmm. memory of investors. It's, it can't happen. Can't happen. But actually look back in the past, it's happened before it'll happen it again, again. Yeah. you know yeah and uh and you also talked a bit about the sort of psychology of investors as well mm. which i remember yeah, you know, yeah which yeah. was very good uh another you know some great comments uh, on on twitter and uh you know some one comment here picked up some great points on markets during periods of volatility and again talking about what we're talking about it's being aware of market developments and uh, where you are in that market cycle and all the different uh, trigger points. And you and I had a conversation online, if you remember, about the uh, the lipstick index. Do you remember that? Yes, you do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which, um, uh, if you've not heard of, apparently there's uh, some correlation between the sales of lipstick and market instability and markets falling, that the, the sales go up because people uh, focus on the little things that make them feel good. I thought, you know. Very great. interesting. <laughs> Very interesting. Mm. Anything that helps an investor improve and be aware of the market. Yeah. Absolutely. Great. Okay. Well, let, let's uh, hear a clip from the uh, interview you did with John Stepak. This is one of my questions, uh, John, and I'll, I'll bring it in now and yeah. interrupt you, unfortunately. This is what I'm saying, right? So it starts in 2007. We're going to talk because I was going to be that, you know, you, you're in there at 2005. You know, you're there, you get promoted. It's 2007, and things start to go pear shaped. You're seeing all these things going wrong. You're seeing the signs. You're writing about it. You're showing all these investors out there and fund managers that read your magazine because they clearly did and they were doing it at that time as well and still yeah. do. We're seeing all these warning signs. This is for Money Week. We're seeing all these warning. You and Mary and all the other teams saying, watch out, watch out. And everyone's going, go away. We're not listening. Why do people, and psychology again, ignore the signs and they're always bullish until the very last minute, John? Honestly, it's because people don't want to. Well, it's two things. I think... The industry obviously has a just has a bullish uh, bias because I do remember we had um, regular roundtables, so monthly kind of chats with fund managers that we'd put in the magazine. And I do remember that all the fund managers at that point were clearly very uncomfortable. They they were clearly worried, but it's almost like, well, you're, what, what are you going to do? <laughs> you know, if you're an equity income fund manager, you can't just say, Actually, I'm really scared. I'm going to sell all my stocks and sit in cash because, you know, you've got a remit to follow. You know, it's kind of so I think it's very difficult for people in the industry to escape the fact that their job is to buy stocks, basically, and hold on to them. 
So I think there's there's that. So there's the industry side. As for individuals, I mean, I mean, this is where I think individuals have a bit of an advantage over professionals, or it's, it's the advantage that they have is that they don't actually have any kind of portfolio remit beyond make sure your money grows. Um, and they also don't have any external pressure in terms of a boss saying, you know, you have to turn around this this quarter, you have to make X percent. Um, but the problem is that it's very hard to escape that uh, the momentum, because it's, I mean, it's a bit like the, today, um, you know, growth did so well for so long and deflation for so long has been the big threat that people simply cannot adjust to the idea that it's all going to be the other way around because what has worked has worked for so long and we just have a tendency to keep extrapolating. And then when the turning points come, all of the things that you've relied on become useless, basically, because nobody really knows what an inflationary environment is going to be like. And also, I mean, in 2008, the idea that banks would go bust was unthinkable. Um, you know, most people hadn't seen a major bank kind of like pop its clogs since, you know, at least the 1980s. So I think that's the other thing. There's, there's kind of, there's a lack of memory that these things have happened before. Um, and then we go into it as if it's something completely fresh. Um, you know, but, so I think that it's, a, it's very difficult to turn course after being on it for so long. Absolutely. And people have difficulty with it and they try to just focus on where things were going well and forget about the bad times, you yeah. know, psychology wise. Okay. On to the last of our five chosen episodes. This one was uh, very early on. Annabelle Brody Smith, I think it was about episode five or six mm. from the Association of Investment Companies. Now, what I really liked about this is really simple things for investors. You know, she gave a great explanation of the difference between a trust and a fund and also talk about, you know, open-ended funds. And that was very interesting. And there was a conversation with you about um, VCTs and and the the advantages, the tax breaks uh, of venture capital trusts. So I mean, that sort of information, you know, as an investor, if you're really not sure what it is, having, uh, I think I I mentioned earlier about having great communicator in, in, in finance and Annabelle does a great job of explaining complex areas in a very easy to understand way that is just so helpful if you're a new investor to sometimes you might be embarrassed to ask the questions you're doing the research you're reading all the, all the information but you just don't really get it annabelle helps you understand these things so mm. that was that was great for me yeah I, I, what i when i interviewed annabelle i've known her for a little while and she's so passionate about what she's what she does and she's been doing it for for quite quite a while and i actually interviewed her um well before I'd interviewed Mark Dampier. That just came much, much later on. And I broke that interview um, trying to get her relaxed because she was a little bit nervy. And I, I, I said this to her um, with regards to what Mark had said. And I, I started the interview and I said to her, um, this is a, this is a shout out from Mark Dampier um, to the Association of Investment Companies and the trade association that represents most investment companies. And basically was, was calling the work and the body that, of work that she does that they are the SAS of the trade association. And I thought that was so brilliant and it absolutely just made her day, you know, so she does some, some fantastic work and has done it for 25 years and grown the organization immensely. Absolutely. And she's also been uh, an avid follower of the Investing Matters series, engages with a lot of the episodes. So thank you, Annabelle, for that. And we'll listen to your 
clip at the moment, which wanted to share this from Twitter. We had someone comment uh, a brilliant listen and interesting about the debates between growth and dividends. And, and very much from my own perspective, you know, most of the investors that I talk to, a lot of people absolutely go for growth. And then there's a whole section that just grow for dividends. And mm-hmm. I think probably a mix mm-hmm. of two is probably the, the best solution, but it is mm-hmm. definitely two different camps and two different uh, strategies. So yeah, yeah, it was a great conversation. Mm-hmm. Indeed. I think one of the other additional things that she's done as well is she's maintained a relationship with us as Investing Matters because she retweets and shares some of the content because it's all about education. And she's very, very passionate about the whole educational side of things. So that's really good. Excellent. Okay, well, let's hear the clip from Annabelle. Annabelle, I want to move a little bit slightly across a little bit and talk about sure. Venture Capital Trust now. Yeah, VCTs. Yeah, VCTs, because a lot of people are moving into that. The importance of that and the benefits of that. Could you share that with us as well? Oh, yeah. Well, Venture Capital Trust, I mean, for investors, they have very generous tax breaks. You know, you get 30% upfront capital tax relief if you hold that for uh, five years. So upfront capital gains, 30% relief. I can actually explain that a little bit better. You know, your rate of income tax relief is 30% back straight away. You can invest up to £200,000 every year, but you must hold those VCT shares for five years to qualify for that income tax relief. Also, importantly, any of the dividends you receive are tax-free. And that makes a big difference. But I think the best thing about them, actually, and obviously those generous tax breaks are very important, is that they are investing in the UK's smaller, fast-growing, ambitious companies. And those are the companies that are going to grow and support the economy in the future. Uh, Interesting, you know, we talk to venture capital trust managers all the time. They're seeing, not surprisingly, lots of opportunities in technology and healthcare at the moment, which makes a lot of sense. But, you know, those sort of companies have big economic and social benefits for the UK. They have been investing in these small types of companies making sure they're strong through the pandemic and they will be continuing to do that. So I think for investors, you know, there's a great generous tax breaks, but they also have strong performance and you are actually helping the economic and social benefits for, for the economy. So they are very, very interesting investments. Yeah, I think that's, that says the same regarding the investment companies per se, really. And when we last spoke, we were talking about anniversaries and all the rest of it. And you've been going since 1868. So, you know, a lot of these investors are long-term investors, which takes me straight on to the dividend heroes and explaining to our investors what they are and some of the strongest ones that have been going forward now 50 plus years some of them in fact yeah well this is actually very important and again it's a very important difference from open-ended funds because investment companies have got a unique feature where they can hold back up to 15 percent of their income every year they hold it they in reserve in the revenue reserve and then when times get tough and Boy, did times get tough last year. We all know about that dividend drought, don't we? (laughs) We all know about it. When times get tough, they can use this revenue reserve to boost their dividends. And that's the reason why investment companies with a dividend over 1%, uh, last year, 85% of them increased or maintained their dividend. 
whereas just 23% of the equivalent open-ended funds did. So it's really, really important. We have 18 uh, dividend hero investment companies, and six of those have been increasing their dividend every year for over 50 years. And investors find this incredibly reassuring. You know, growth is all good when it comes, but, you know, actually have the reliability of that income. It means a lot. And growth is good when it comes, but we never know when it's not going to come. And then at that stage, those dividends really pay off. Absolutely. I mean, this is the beauty of, of compounding the portfolio, compounding the investments in the portfolio. Okay, so that was the clip from uh, the interview with Annabel Brody-Smith. Now, they're, they're our top five, but we've had, mm. um, at the time of recording this, 27 episodes, I think, of the, of the podcast so far. Um, so there have been a few other um, great episodes. And what I'd be thinking as well is going forward, we want to have a, an even more diverse range of guests on the program. And, and a perfect example is, you know, recently you interviewed John Salarco, former premiership footballer, now working in, in the mm. field of, of business and investing. Another fantastic interview, mm. a lot about football, if you're a football fan, yes. <laughs> but, but some real nuggets about uh, determination and focus and everything that he had to do in his career and mm. how he took that into the world of business now and, and investing. So that, mm. for me, was another great episode I would definitely yeah. recommend people listen to. Yeah, I think the, one of the beautiful things about John was obviously the he'd Premier League football player, played for, played for England but also the fact he got in early in the property game and he was investing in property. And we know that a lot of our investors know somebody or have tried it themselves in, in, in the property game. And it's not for everybody. It's quite difficult. So the, the transition from being a professional athlete to then getting into investing, to then get into presenting and all the other things that he's involved in, I just thought was amazing. It just showed what can be achieved from, you know, from just having the, the wherewithal to p persist and have that perseverance. And I think, all investors need that because the markets will always try to just sh shake you out and try and force you to, to quit. And that's what it was about. That interview was about sharing the, the need of how to stay at something longevity wise, and then be a success. Very much so. Mm -hmm. the, the dedication and commitment and uh, perseverance Absolutely. Is, is the word to use. Absolutely. Which other one would you pick out as a, an episode? I, I just loved the interview with um, St Stephen Kelly. Because it was a humble background, he was having to work from the age of you know early teens to generate money for his family's home because his dad had, had got poorly, and going from there to being at the top of the game, Oracle, Chordiant, Microfocus, Sage, and then building a, a charitable foundation to help so many different people um, around the globe, and then thinking about how can I do something more? So now he's working with the likes of Tech Nation. And actually is inspiring and nurturing a whole different swathe of startups and entrepreneurs to actually develop their own business. And what he's passionate about now is about making the UK the, super, the tech superpower um, going forward. So I just loved that interview. Um, it was the longest one I did. Yeah, with 90 minutes. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and for someone to give us that amount of time, yeah, because very was, generous. That, because that was very generous, um, was fantastic. So... You know, just love individuals like that who are wanting to give and wanting to nurture and wanting to actually say to everybody else, you know, give your time, show kindness, and possibilities are endless. Absolutely. So I'm going to put you on the spot now. Who's your target? Who would you like to get on the program next? 
Ah, oh, that's a really good question. I, 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 I would love to get some of the um, fund managers um, that are in America and I've got some, I'm trying to work on that right now. I'm not going to name names. Um, the top of my list um, regarding UK fund managers, although some people will say he's no longer a fund manager, would be Neil Woodford. I'm working on that as well. Um, but I'm looking forward to interviewing, hopefully if I get it across the line, um, some really, really significant individuals across the whole spectrum of the investment industry. But I'm going to keep those names under my hat for the yeah. time being because I like to do things and then let people see them afterwards and then go, oh, didn't expect to see that person. And we're going to have some interesting guests in 2023. Fantastic. So obviously, if you're listening to this episode, we'd love to hear your thoughts as well. You know, who would you like us to have on the program? Who do you want to hear from about investing matters and what it means to be a good, if not great investor and how to constantly improve? So do um, engage with us on our social media. Um, you can do it on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, and uh, let us know who you'd like on the program. Indeed. Right. Well. I'm just going to say thank you very much to you, Peter. I'm, I was delighted that you uh, took up the offer a year ago when we talked about being the host of the program. Fantastic uh, results so far. Looking forward to the 2023 uh, episodes. And uh, here's to a very positive future and uh, learning more about investing matters. Thank you, Dave. I'm looking forward to it as well. Mm -hmm.